You're listening to Faith FM and this is Tassie Encounters coming to you from Hobart and in the studio today I've got Peter Watts with me. We'll be continuing our uh, Peter's topic, Searching for Certainty. Welcome, Peter. uh, Welcome. Uh, Welcome to everybody else. It's good (laughs) to be here, Jason. Yeah, good to have you here. Um, So today our topic is Did We Really Evolve? We're going to get into that shortly, but... Just before we do, we will remind you that uh, if you're in the Hobart area, we do have a program or a project that is running called the Live More Project, and uh, we are starting over at Rosny on the 5th of June. And if you're interested in improving your health and well-being, uh, it's uh, physical health, mental health, um, you can text us into our show number, the word Live More. Now, our show number is Zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. So text us the word "live more" to zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one, and we will send you the link where you can get more information about that project, and uh, you can register online, etc. Uh, it starts this Saturday on the fifth of June at four p.m. So. I'd encourage you to to come along. I'm going to be part of that particular program. So yeah, it'd be it'll be good to have you there if you are interested. There are other programs also running around the state. We've got uh, a couple of others that are still yet to uh, start. We're one in Collinsvale and one up in Devonport as well. But if you go to the link that we send you, you can register there for any of those events. Now, Peter, last week we were talking about the reliability and the evidence for the reliability and the authority of the Bible, but can people really believe the Bible when it comes to the subject of origins and evolution? I know people really struggle with that first book of the Bible, the the, the book of Genesis, which says that we were made in six days, and that's totally contrary to... uh, to what um, many believe and teach. For sure. And so what's, uh, what's your background on this? Okay, so, um, I mean, I was raised uh, in the UK, as I've mentioned before. I went to state school, learned about evolution, and that is the way that I thought that we all came about, from molecules to man, uh, evolution over billions of years. That's the common view. It's the common view taught in uh, high schools. It's the common view taught in university. It's what we, when you watch TV programs, whether it's documentaries or even entertainment shows, there's the assumption of evolution always in the background. And uh, certainly that's uh, what I believe. Uh, Our program today is called Did We Really Evolve? Uh, And that is because uh, most assume we did I assumed we did um, and then uh, I sort of have had exposure I guess to, to um, more materials and been able to at least uh, examine the other position and so when we talk about uh, evolution we have to sort of define what we mean some people might say well evolution is change over time well I believe in change over time I was once a little boy and now I'm a grown yeah, man exactly. uh, I've changed you've evolved <laughs> I've, I've changed over time and so and sometimes we use the word in that fashion and that's a legitimate use of the word right that that something has changed over time mm. um, and really I guess um, what we want to sort of differentiate or what I would like to differentiate today because I mentioned before I was going to talk about what I do believe about evolution and what I don't believe about evolution and uh, and the differentiation I would place is macro evolution versus micro evolution and so let me explain that a little bit um, 
uh, microevolution uh, are the changes that we see within creatures uh, and their adaptations, really. Um, we might call it uh, natural selection. Darwin referred to it as natural selection. And um, what Darwin observed when he popularized the theory of evolution is he, he observed change over time. He observed adaptations. He observed changes within creatures. And then he speculated that given enough time, those little changes would add up to big changes and one creature could change into another creature. Mm. Now that's called macroevolution, the, mm. the big changes. And the, the fact is, from an observational perspective, um, macroevolution is what we don't see. We don't see one kind of creature turning into another kind of creature. And if you look around the world today, you look at dogs and horses and cows and cats, uh, they they're are fairly, they're they're finished well creatures. And they're well-defined. Well-defined, yeah. well-developed. Where is the halfway creature yeah. that is developing from a dog, say, into a horse? Or, uh, you know, so that's the difference I see is micro and macro evolution. Certainly we see micro evolution. We see um, in adaptations and all sorts of things. We adapt ourselves. You know, mm. if I were to take off my shoes and socks, I won't do it here in the studio because you might not like the smell of my feet. But if I were to take off my shoes and socks and walk down the road every day barefoot, then the soles of my feet are going to toughen up. Mm. I remember I used to work in a, as a bookbinder, I used to work in a publishing house. And the first week there, I would get loads of paper cuts in my hands um, because my hands were so soft. And then over time, my hands toughened up, the skin on my hands toughened up, uh, and I got less paper cuts. And so um, our bodies have that built-in ability, natural, the natural world, many organisms have built-in ability to adapt to its surroundings, but that is already present, and that's the important part. It's already present in our, in our DNA to... to uh to adapt. Correct. Yeah. I'm just even thinking of a very simple example. We all, uh, you know, many of us have pets. You know, in the winter, they grow a thick, woolly coat. Yeah. And in the summer, they shed that coat. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, there, in a way, there are kind of, you might look at evolution and say there are six kinds of evolution because most of the time we're talking about biological evolution, right? But there is cosmic evolution. That is the origin of, uh, of time and space. Uh, then there's a theory of chemical evolution. Uh, uh, that's the origin of chemicals, right? Origin of chemistry. Then you've got stellar and planetary evolution. Where do the stars and planets come from? Uh, there's a theory about that. Then there's organic evolution. Uh, where did life come from? Mm. And then micro, macro, uh, macro and micro evolution. Of those six kinds, only micro evolution has been observed and measured in a scientific sense. And that, that would include things like viruses mutating and things like that. Is that where you'd put that into that classification sure. of microevolution? Well, when we talk about science, we're talking about um, observable, recordable, repeatable. Yep. Okay, and that's and that we 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 can see that with yeah. microevolution, but not with macroevolution. Mm. And so there is a theory, uh, obviously, of of macroevolution. Uh, sometimes we see the debate um, sort of uh, outlined this way: um, God versus science. You know that, that you either believe in God or you believe in science, and you can't sort of have both. And uh, you know this is just untrue. It's it's a, it's a, a misconception, I think. Um, Time magazine ran a, a cover article in uh, 2006. It said God versus science: a spirited debate between atheist biologist Richard Dawkins and Christian. Um, 
geneticist Francis Collins. Now, here's the thing. On the cover, it says God versus science. Mm. But there are two scientists there. Yes. Right? In, <laughs> exactly. the, in the very, in the very subtitle, uh, it, it, it is a biologist and a geneticist talking mm. about is there a God? Mm. One doesn't believe, one does. Mm. Uh, and so this is not actually God versus science, but rather two different worldviews, two views of science. The science is the science, mm. right? Um, if you can observe something, if it's repeatable, if it's recordable, you recordable, can record the results. Then, then it's science. Yeah, yeah, then you can examine that. And what does that mean? How do we interpret the results? The interpretation of the results is just as important as the results themselves. Mm. And so, um, you know, the common notion is that, well, scientists don't believe in God or scientists don't believe in creation, for instance. Or and you, yeah, or you can't believe in science and God. And you exactly. can't believe in science and creation. Exactly. Yeah. And I've, I've discovered, obviously, that clearly this is not true. Um, that I have a book called In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. And that's not to say that there are only 50. Mm. It's simply that there are only 50 in this book. Yeah. Um, uh, it was edited by a friend of mine, John Ashton, who actually spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time living here in Tasmania. Um, but John Ashton, um, the way this book came about was there was a university student in Sydney going to a lectures at university, and the lecturer had said that no one with a, a PhD in the scientists, uh, sorry, no scientist would ever believe that God created in six days. And she thought, well, I'm sure I know one. And she went and spoke to uh, John Ashton, who is a PhD chemist. And um, he said, sure. And then he talked to a few other people. Who, and he very quickly gathered together 80 scientists who uh, were happy to write a paper on why they believed in God from their field of science. Mm -hmm. And he put the best 50 in a book. And that's how uh, the book In Six Days uh, came about. If you think about it, uh, the, the fathers of modern science, you know, uh, all believed in God. <laughs> you know, the, the, sometimes the, we have this notion that if you're religious, if you believe in God, that that's going to hamper, you know, uh, scientific advancement. Mm. On the contrary, the fathers of my, modern science were believers in God. People like Leonardo da Vinci, uh, Nicholas Copernicus, Francis Bacon, Galileo Galilei, uh, Johann Kepler, Robert Boyle, Isaac Newton, and the list could go on and on and Einstein. on. Einstein. Uh, Einstein was a believer in God, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Wilbur and Orville Wright, who you know, you know invented the, the aeroplane, uh, they believed in God. And yeah. so to the idea that you can't believe in God and be a scientist uh, it doesn't, doesn't make sense and is not historically true. Mm. Well, we're going to go to a break. Um, I just want to tell our listeners we've got a offer coming up. We've got an offer. Uh, it's a book called Creation and Evolution, and we'll give you more details about that. But just uh, get this number, uh, write it down on a bit of paper, put it in your phone, whatever it is. This is our show number for Tassie Encounters. It's a text-only number, so text us in on 0488880891. And later in the program, we'll give you more information about that book and how to get it. So let's uh, go to a break, and this is Jaden Lavick with... My Father's World. This is my Father's World To 
to Tassie and Canners on Faith FM. And we're talking with Peter Watts this morning on the topic of did we really evolve? Now we've been talking about science and religion and whether they can coexist. And we're going to delve into what some of the key questions are in regards to the creation and evolution debate. Mm. Okay, well, in, first of all, in that idea of uh, can science and religion coexist, you would think that... Um, they should be able to because both of them really are a search for truth, mm. right? Science is, is trying to discover the truth about the world around us. And religion, of course, is uh, trying to discover the philosophical truth about who we are, why we're here, and, and, and the purpose and meaning of life that we've talked about before. So, um, you know, they, they really are both digging for the same things. And again, it's, it's a lot of, just, to just do. Different aspects of the Different same aspects. Thing. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, a lot depends on your worldview from one as to how you interpret the other. So in other words, if you do believe in God, you're going to interpret the evidence a certain way. If you don't believe in God, you're going to interpret the evidence that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I think that's important to understand. It's, it's about the interpretation of the evidence. One of the questions, one of the key questions in the creation-evolution debate is how old is the Earth? So you effectively have these two uh, big pictures. So the picture of evolution is that the universe... Or, um, arose, I was going to say was created, but the universe arose over a period of about 14 billion years. Um, our Earth is about four and a half billion years. Over, gradually over time, uh, 
life emerged somehow. They haven't established how that, that did happen, but a life emerged from non-life. And then you have this gradual development over a long, long period of time until you get all of the incredible complex life forms that we see on Earth today. The biblical picture, of course, is very different because not only in the, the first chapter of the Bible, it tells us that God created the world in six days. Mm. But if you look at the Bible from a chronological point of view, it actually tells us how long Adam lived. Adam was made on day six of creation. Adam lived 930 years, and he had a son, and he lived so long, and he had a son. Up to Abraham, you've got father-son connections. And so the point being that from a biblical perspective, not only did it, it say that God creates in six days, but it's relatively recently. Mm. As in a few thousand years ago, compared to the numbers, compared that we're to the billions yeah. of years. Yeah. So, so it's either a few years ago, uh, a few thousand years ago, uh, and in six days, as opposed to billions of years. Mm. And so, how old is the Earth? This is one of the key questions because evolution requires the millions and billions of years, mm. and and that's simply because we can't observe these massive changes in such short periods of time. Correct. So if we say, look, show me evolution, well, it's too slow to observe. Yeah. Well, how do you know it actually took place? Yeah. Um, so let's test the theory. Um, so in terms of uh, how do we get the idea of millions of years? How, how do we know how old the Earth is, right? So this is a key question. So if we go to, um, you know, the Grand Canyon or any area where you've got exposed layers of rock. Mm. You've got layers of strata, okay? And these are sedimentary layers. These are layers of rock that have been laid down by water over time. Uh, now, how long ago? We can't say because it doesn't, it's not written on there, right? Mm. And so how do they determine this? So uh, a geologist, uh, a, um, evolutionary geologists will look at the Grand Canyon and say, look, there are millions of layers there, maybe one layer of dust per year, millions of layers, millions of years, right? And they will age date the rocks, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, the, from a biblical model, we would say many of those sedimentary layers were laid down very rapidly by the flood that we read about in the book of Genesis, a global flood, which is kind of interesting because you have these sedimentary layers all over the world you also have fossilized uh, creatures all over the world you even have marine fossils on mount everest what are they doing up there mm. um you know that that area was once covered in water so um let's talk about how they date the rocks okay they use radiometric dating methods so they will um use you know potassium argon uranium lead rubidium strontium these kinds of methods to date a rock and how that works is, and you know, I'm no expert, but uh, from what I've read, this is this is how I understand they work. So, uranium lead method, for instance, you take a rock, examine it, and you want to find out what it's made up of. And the uranium lead method is uranium is um, uh, radioactive and it decays over a known rate, uh, a known period of time. So you have a, a parent product, uranium, and then you have a daughter product that's produced lead. Uh, and there's a known decay rate. And so what you would do is you examine a rock and you say, well, it's got so much lead, it's got so much uranium, let's extrapolate backwards until there's no lead, and then we'll know the age of the rock, Mm. 300 million years. Okay, simple. 
There's some problems with these methods, though, and it is because you have to make certain assumptions. So first of all, how much of each substance was present in the rock originally? Mm. What if lead was present in the rock when it was when formed? It was formed. Yep. That is going to drastically change uh, your estimate of that rock's age. You know, no rocks in and of themselves can be age-dated. It's done through the assumption and extrapolation. Mm. And so the rock itself doesn't have a... You know, a texter saying, I'm 300 million years old on it. You know, so how much of each substance was in the rock originally? Has the decay rate remained constant over millions of years? How would we know that? We haven't been measuring, we've only been measuring it for a century. It's an assumption. It's an assumption. And then was any of each substance added by an environmental change or catastrophic event such as an earthquake, volcanic eruption or flooding because they have come to know that these things can affect the way uh, the rock is dated. Here's another thought. You take a piece of rock to a lab, you test it by one of the radiometric dating methods it gives you a date 300 million years old. You take the same rock over to another lab, the other side of town, you date it by a different method, and sometimes it'll give you a different date, sometimes by hundreds of millions of years. The question is, which of those two dates do you trust, and why would you trust either of them? Hmm. Uh, sometimes they've found rock that has formed around a piece of wood. And they've uh, dated the piece of wood through carbon dating. That's a different kind of dating method. They've dated the piece of wood to thousands of years old, but they've dated the rock to millions of years old. But the rock formed around the wood. Mm. The wood is older than the rock. So the question is, there are lots of these anomalies. Um, and I, I think that it's um, unfortunate that we put a lot of stock in the dating methods and they're printed in books and they're printed in newspapers uh, and news articles and you'll hear it on news bulletins as though it's a stated fact. They found a skull or they found a, a rock that's 100 million years old or whatever it may be. Is it true that um, more recently they they now believe that carbon, date is, that carbon dating is only accurate up to a certain... Age, yes. Age so time. carbon dating, I think, it measures things up to about fifty thousand years, and pro after that, it's 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 supposed that all of the carbon would would have disappeared. Right. So, um, but that's a different kind of dating method. Yeah, and it's used to date things that were once alive. Hmm. Um, but th there's a statement here from Fr Frederick um, Juniman. He he made this statement back in 1982. He said the age of our globe is presently thought to be some 4.5 billion years, based on radioactive rates radioactive rates of uranium and thorium such confirmation may be short-lived as nature is not to be discovered quite so easily there has been in recent years the horrible realization that radio decay rates are not as constant as previously thought nor are they immune to environmental influences and this could mean that the atomic clocks are reset during some global disaster and events which brought the Mesozoic period to a close may not be 65 million years ago, but rather within the age and memory of man. That statement's interesting because when he talks about the Mesozoic period coming to an end 65 million years ago, many might pick up on that, that that's when the dinosaurs were supposed to have died out. Yeah. And we've got, uh, there are, there's evidence that dinosaurs may not have died out 65 million years ago you know, as previously thought. And so we'll, we'll look at some of that evidence um, from fossils. But the point is this, uh, even those that work in the, the realm of radiometric dating, they're not all nailed on um, defenders 
uh, of the, the, the practice. In other words, they're not all saying, yes, this is watertight, you can trust it implicitly. And these are people that aren't Bible-believing Christians, but they're simply saying, actually, the method isn't watertight and it's not as, you know, as, as nailed down as we thought. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, would you like to go to another break, Peter, we, or have you got more before we do? Well, let's go to another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the fossil record, uh, because a lot of people think that the fossil record provides evidence for evolution. We want to have a look at that. Okay, let's do that. So uh, the book today we mentioned earlier, Creation and Evolution, a thoughtful look at the evidence that a master designer created our planet, and it's by Dwight Nelson. We'll continue to give you more information about that as we go through the program. Let's have a listen to this song. It's called When God Speaks by Braden and Elise Enterman. I believe uh, you know They're this They're friends uh, of mine. Yeah. God bless them. Yeah, let's have a listen.
You're listening to Tazzy Encounters on Faith FM. And we're talking with Peter Watts. Now, Peter, before the break, we were talking about the age of the earth and dating methods. And by dating methods, I don't think you are meaning online dating. No, I think that's another show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different show. Yeah, we were talking about the way that um, the the rocks of the earth are dated and uh, um, that's important because the rocks contain fossils. And we're going to talk a little bit about fossils in a moment. I just wanted to read you this statement. This is from uh, William D. Stanfield, PhD from California Picnic, uh, Polytechnic State University. He's talking about this and he says it is obvious that radiometric techniques may not be the absolute dating methods that they are claimed to be. Age estimates on a given geological uh, stratum by different radiometric methods are often quite different, sometimes by hundreds of millions of years. There is no absolutely reliable long-term radiological clock. The uncertainties inherent in radiometric dating are disturbing to geologists and evolutionists. But they're not disturbing to creationists Mm. because creationists believe that uh, God created the world in six days just uh, a few thousand years ago. Now, this, of course, seems fantastic to to people who maybe haven't uh, thought about that before because they think that that's just astronomical. I mean, like, how could you possibly build a planet and all the life on it in a week? Um, And, you know, I can understand that. but, But then the God of the Bible is far greater than we imagine. Than our understanding. You know, if, if we talked about sending rockets to the moon 300 years ago, 500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, people would have thought you were mad. Um, but we, as creative beings, were able to do that. Mm. Um, the same with the internet and mobile phones and all of this stuff. So, so let's talk about uh, fossils. Well, you're going to... No, I was just going to say, you know, what other evidences are mm. there, what other information is out there or actual hard evidence that could sure. could point to, you know, a created planet rather than a an evolved planet. Right. Okay. So the the creation story, the biblical model is not only of a God that created the world, but then obviously something went wrong. And we'll talk about that perhaps in our next episode of why so much suffering. You know, if God made a perfect world, why is there so much suffering? We're going to talk about that in our next show. But um, God created a perfect world. Something went wrong and the world no longer functions in a perfect way. And we also have a record of the global flood at the time of Noah, which we've already mentioned. And some people look at the fossil record and they believe that fossils pr- provide conclusive evidence for evolution. However, um, Dr. David Rorp, he wrote back in 1979, he said, Darwin's theory of natural selection has always been closely linked to evidence from fossils. And probably most people assume that fossils provide a very important part of the general argument that is made in favour of Darwinian interpretations of the history of life. Unfortunately, this is not strictly true. Um, and what's interesting is that since the time of Darwin, we've dug up many more thousands and thousands of fossils and the picture has become... Uh, not clearer for evolution, but a little more muddled. So uh, the first question we want to ask is, does it take millions of years to form a fossil, mm. right? Um, if, uh, you know, if, if you imagine, let's say I've got a, a pet cat and it dies and I put it on the back lawn and I say, uh, put a little fence around it, say, don't touch cat fossilizing. Is the cat <laughs> going to fossilize? 
Well, no, because the wind and the rain are going to have something to do with that and birds are going to come along and peck it to death and, and it'll be ripped to bits and you will not see it. Mm. It'll disintegrate. Um, so how do you produce a, fo- a fossil? The only way you're really going to produ- to be able to preserve that cat is if you bury it rapidly in some kind of wet cement mm. and then it's encapsulated, it's frozen in that moment uh, and that's the only way you're going to preserve that image. So um, if you think about it, there have some, been some famous fossils. I've got one here that I'm looking at, a picture of a, a fossilised. It's a fish that's been fossilised in the process of eating another fish. Wow. <laughs> and, this is, uh, and this has been uh, labelled fast food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the idea being, how do you fossilise that? Mm. The only way you're going to freeze that image is if it's buried rapidly and they both die immediately uh, and they're buried in sediment that sediment hardens Mm. and then that fossil is preserved for us uh, for us to see later on there's a very famous uh, fossil of an ichthyosaur and an ichthyosaur is a uh, an extinct marine creature and this is incredible because the ichthyosaur is fossilized whilst giving birth to another ichthyosaur. Hmm. Now, I'm sure some of the ladies out there might feel like it takes millions of years to, to, <laughs> to give birth, but it really doesn't. Hmm. Uh, and the only way you're going to capture that image is it's by rapid happen. burial. Hmm. Uh, and now, you know, um, most paleontologists can see that the best conditions for producing fossils is flood conditions. Um, and I would argue that the vast majority of the fossils that we see on planet Earth today are as a result of the global flood where massive amounts of sediment were laid down rapidly um, by the flood and thus we have the um, the graveyard, if you like, of fossils that we see. We mentioned before that there are fossils even in the highest levels of Mount Everest. Hmm. Is there any... Um uh, connection also with volcanic activity and and uh, heat as well in in fossilization or is it simply sediment? I think it's it's mainly sediment. I, I'm not aware of any volcanic. Um, I'm just aware uh, of say uh, Pompeii, and I think uh, Gary Webbs is going to be talking ah, about Pompeii, where yes. where things were captured in the. So in that the, was ash. I've been to ash. Pompeii. Oh, okay, right. And so uh, basically, when uh, Mount Vesuvius exploded, hmm. uh, you have a, a lot of ash, molten, uh, hot ash. And gas, by the way, that would have, uh, you know, killed people. Killed people, yeah. And so then they're buried by this layers and layers and of layers ash. of ash as yeah, opposed okay. to volcanic rock. Yeah, okay. Um, but let me go back to fossils. Yeah. And I'm talking about uh, the those uh, that are produced by the laying down of uh, sedimentary material. Um, some Sometimes they find what are called living fossils. That is to say the, a creature is found in the fossil record, but then they find it alive in the world today. Yeah. And so the horseshoe crab, for instance, is meant to be millions of years old. This fossil, at least, is meant to be millions of years old, but the horseshoe crab is alive and well on Earth today, and it's essentially unchanged from the one in the fossil record. So well, the question... One would assume we would find many examples of that. Exactly. There are more than 500 uh, um, examples of living fossils mm. and so uh, and the question then is well why has it not changed over time um, uh, back in Darwin's day they they believed that you know because it took such a long time for a fossil to form these gradual layers of dust over time then you wouldn't have any soft bodied uh, tissue 
that would ever survive uh, fossilization. But now we've found jellyfish. Uh, you can find jellyfish that are fossilized. Now, you and I would probably have seen uh, jellyfish washed up on a beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the midday sun gets up, they don't last too long. No. Um, so in order to fossilize a jellyfish, you're going to have to bury it rapidly. Mm. Um, they've even found raindrops that have been fossilized, which is amazing. So that you've got some kind of wet sediment and it rains and you've got the impression of that. And then another sediment is laid over the top and hardened and preserved raindrops. So that's kind of amazing. And so, you know, the idea we get that fossil, fossils take a long time to be reproduced, um, I think the fossil record bears out that that um, most of the fossil record we see is there by rapid burial. Mm. Now, what's interesting is in terms of other fossils, you know, people get quite excited about finding dinosaur fossils, for instance, right? And, uh, you know, I remember watching Jurassic Park and the, the poster for the movie said, 65 million years in the making, you know, uh, the idea that the dinosaurs had died out 65 million years ago and we're digging up their bones and wouldn't it be great if there were some around today and so forth. Well, um, there was some work done by Dr. Mary Schweitzer in the United States. She, uh, the, a T-Rex dinosaur bone, uh, a T-Rex dinosaur was discovered in 1990. Um, it was found to have soft, stretchy tissue in its leg bone, Right. Uh, not only stretchy tissue, but they, they actually found blood vessels and what they believe to be blood cells uh, under the 65 microscope. 65 million years old. Well, apparently <laughs> 65 million years old. And and the question was asked in this uh, SBS, uh, there was a whole uh, SBS documentary that, that I remember watching called Dinosaurs, the Hunt for Life. And they asked the question, are these remains really 68 million years old? And so... Um, the, she took it to her boss, uh, a man by the name of Dinosaur Jack Horner, and uh, he said, well, it can't be. You better go back and check your experiments. And they did many different experiments to determine whether this was really uh, soft tissue and dinosaur bone, and they wanted to disprove it. They said well, this couldn't possibly be because how could soft tissue survive millions and millions of years in that state? Um, and then they finally came to the conclusion that, no, this actually is soft tissue in a dinosaur bone. And since that time, they found soft tissue in, in other dinosaur bones. And so, I mean, it's stretchy and, you, you know, because sometimes you can see them with a pair of tweezers and you pull it back and it'll spring back, you know, this kind of elasticity. And that originally they were saying, well, this cannot possibly have lasted 65 million years. Well, once they'd proven that it was actually soft tissue within dinosaur bones, some were saying, well, now we know it must be able to last 65 million years. So in other words, they're sort of changing their tune a bit because this actually points against the millions of years idea. Mm. Um, And so that was, you know, fascinating, um, fascinating evidence. There was a, a, a Chicago conference on evolution back in 1980. It was reported in Newsweek magazine, and uh, one of the reporters in Newsweek had said, this evidence from fossils now points overwhelmingly away from the classical Darwinism most Americans learned in high school. That was written in Newsweek in 1980. You know, that's over 40 years ago. Um, And yet I think most people are still fed the idea that fossils take millions of years to be produced and that they prove somehow or are they evidence for 
the evolution. Molecules yeah. from man evolution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's go to another break. Um, but just before we do, I'll give you a bit more information about the book that we're giving away. Uh, Creation and Evolution, a thoughtful look at the evidence that a master designer created our planet. So did a loving God create this earth or are we the random product of millions of years of natural selection? Is the Bible teaching of a literal six-day creation viable given the scientific evidence pointing towards evolution? Or can both theories be successfully blended into one? Take a look at the evidence. Prayerfully search your heart and then draw your own conclusions. The fact is that since no one was there in the beginning, both theories of the origin require faith, a perfect requirement for the one who wants to know the truth about the beginning and the ending. So uh, after the break, we'll give you the code to that book. Uh, text it in to 0488880891 and uh, we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. Let's have a listen to this song called Big Enough. And I guess this uh, is really talking about our picture of God. Is God big enough? I've got a heart that's full of faith-filled helplessness. There are mountains ahead that I can't move by myself But I know when I'm weak, He's strong When I can barely breathe, there's still a song Even though it's hard right now, I'm not here on my own So when it seems it can't be done I know God is big enough I can run the race I'm called to run Cause I know God is big enough I'll finish everything we start We'll meet us right here where we are And I can feel faith rising up Cause I know God is big enough There are days when the shadows of doubt make me feel small I declare that I don't stand in my strength at all Cause I won't live a day you didn't plan Every single moment is in your hands Even if the whole world shakes You're the rock on which I stand So when it seems it can't be done I know God is big enough I can run the race I'm called to run Cause I know God is big enough He'll finish everything he starts He'll meet us right here where we are And I can feel faith rising up Cause I know God is big enough Bigger than the fear that surrounds me Bigger than the chains that it I know God 
know God is big enough I can run the race I'm called to run Cause I know God is big enough I'll finish everything he starts I'll meet us right here where we are I can run the race I'm called to run Cause I know God is big enough He'll finish everything He starts He'll meet us right here where we are And I can feel faith rising up Cause I know God is big enough Yeah, I know God is big enough Big Enough by the Clark family. Now, I promised uh, before the break that we would give you the code to our book, Creation and Evolution, by Dwight Nelson. Now, that code is SEARCH3, the number 3. SEARCH3, no spaces, just the word SEARCH with the number 3 on the end. And if you text that to 0488880891, we will get that book out to you as soon as possible. Now, we've been talking about uh, the fossil record. We've been talking about whether we evolved or whether we were created. So, Peter, what really does it make? What difference does it make whether we believe one or the other? Yeah, I think it makes a great deal of difference because um, I certainly believed in evolution. I thought that that was the way we got here. And uh, it, it... changed the way I saw myself. It changed the way I saw other people because if we are just the product of a natural evolution, uh, we're a biological accident, uh, we're going to be here for a short time and then we're off the stage of action and that's it. There's no, there's no meaning, there's no purpose to your life. You're just a bag of chemicals at the beginning. Um, you're going to end up, uh, you know, dripping back into the dust in the end and there's nothing there's no hope there's no future and i think that that affects the way uh, people see life and the way the way they see themselves so i do think it makes a difference and really what we're talking about is did all life come about by accident or is there an intelligent designer behind it all and mm. uh, the in- incredible complexity of life leads us to the belief that there is an intelligent designer and of course that designer is god in Genesis one twenty six in the Bible, uh, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. In other words, from a biblical perspective, human beings are made in the Im- image of God. They are a unique creation. They're not just part of the animal world. Um, I said before, you know, you can go to the shops, you'll find a leg of lamb, a leg of ham, but you won't find a leg of Sam. And that is because we don't cut up people and eat them we think that cannibalism is wrong right yeah um i think that's fairly universal it's fairly universal although in some societies it has been practiced (laughs) it has been practiced that's right um and so who we are as people uh matters and i think you know the way we see ourselves some may remember um a few years ago uh, adam goods who was playing for the sydney swans in the afl he was playing a match i think it was against collingwood and a, a um a, a teenage girl actually uh, shouted out a, 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 an insult at him and called him an ape man. 
it was an ape slur. That's right, it was an ape slur. And uh, she was pointed out and she was ejected from the the building. It made big news uh, at the time. I'm sure that people uh, remember that. But, see, Adam Goods was rightly offended when he was called an ape on that day. Mm. But thousands of children around Australia go to school and are told that they're nothing more than highly developed apes anyway because of the the theory of evolution. So here's the thing. Whilst Adam Goods was rightly offended by being called an ape, why are we not offended when we are being told that we're nothing more than apes, you know, from our education system, from our um, news bulletins, from our entertainment. Um, It's just a common uh, view. So inherently, evolution really is inherently a racist philosophy. And in fact, when evolution was first popularised by Darwin, it was believed that certain races of people were more evolved than other races. And so they came to places like here in Australia and they um, butchered many of the Aborigines and they would even bottle them up and send them back to museums in, in England as examples of what Aborigines look like. And, mm-hmm. and this, of course, is, is absolutely abhorrent because uh, we're all of the same race, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible says that... God has made of one blood all nations that dwell upon the earth. And so we're all um, absolutely uniquely valuable. There was a fascinating uh, article in the Washington Post uh, in, the, uh, in 1995, and they were talking about research that had taken place in the mid-'80s. Um, and so uh, the headline was Genetics, an Evolutionary Mate for Eve. And uh, here's the article from the Washington Post. It says, about 10 years ago, molecular biologists found evidence in human genes that all people share a common female ancestor. Guess what they decided to call her? Eve. They called her Eve. I wonder why. Um, Now, it says, so this is 95. So that was the mid-80s. They discovered evidence that we all go back to one common female ancestor. Mid-90s, they're saying now uh, comes corroboration from a different kind of study. Analysis of a part of the Y-sex chromosome indicates that modern humans descended from a common male ancestor. Well, what do you know? Science is discovering that we all evolved, evolved, we all uh, descended from a common uh, female ancestor, and we are all descended from a common male ancestor. And so this is remarkable um, that that's what, um, you know, mo- modern um, biochemistry is revealing. And it's actually proving, in a way, what uh, the Bible teaches. It's consistent <laughs> with what the Bible teaches. That's yeah. what we're saying. So, um, you know, when we think about the evolutionary model that uh, time and chance over millions of years produced all the complexity, the DNA in uh, each of your mol- uh, each of your cells. Uh, this sort of beggars belief. And uh, Sir Fred Hoyle, who was a British astronomer, um, he wrote. He said the chance that higher life forms might have emerged in this way is compatible, or is comparable with the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. Mm. And that's what he's talking about: is is um, chaos and disorder do not produce order and design. Um, and, and that's what he's saying. If you think about a Boeing 747, what is it that makes a Boeing 747 fly? 
careful design and testing and That's right. materials. And, Correct. Yeah. It's creative design and engineering uh, because you take the, wing, the wings off, they don't fly. You take the mm. engines off, they don't fly. The tail, that doesn't fly. Take the guy out of the, the cockpit, he doesn't fly. Mm. You know, what makes it fly? It, it's, it's, it's the putting together of all those components that enable it to fly. And a 747 is much less complex than a real living bird. Mm. Uh, you know, flight is a problem for a, a challenge for evolution because it's, it's a, it takes a lot of complexity to, to produce something that flies. And, and flight exists in insects, um, mammals. You know, you've got bats that fly. Mm. Um, the pterosaurs, which are extinct, pterodactyls and the, the reptiles that flew. Birds, of course, that fly. We've even got flying fish. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen a flying yeah. fish. I have. I it's quite remarkable. Person, I think, but I have yeah, seen them. I've seen them, and it's quite remarkable. Mm. But see, so flight exists in all of those categories, and yet human beings, top of the evolutionary tree, supposedly, and we can't fly. Yeah. Why haven't we evolved wings? Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Because it'd be really handy. <laughs> it could be. But then we've got brains to, to be able to develop aeroplanes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Maybe that's what uh, people would argue is, is the evolution. We, we, have, we have planes and uh, helicopters and other things. Mm. Um, we're out of time, Peter, but uh, just um, apart from this book that we're giving away, remember mm. the code is search 3, Creation and Evolution yeah. by Dwight Nelson. Search 3, text that into 0488. Eight double eight zero eight nine one. Apart from that book, where else can people go to get more information about this? So there are uh, lots of great articles on the whole crea creation. Anything, any subject you can think of related to creation evolution, I'm sure you'll find an article at creation.com. That's the simplest uh, website that I could send people to, creation.com. If you go there, you'll find something like 10,000 articles on a variety of topics, whether it's dinosaurs, the flood, fossils, DNA, all that kind of stuff. Now, most of those articles, I assume, are written by scientists. Correct. They're yeah. written by um, PhD scientists who are, are um, you know, they're in the scientific field. They're, these are not, this is not written by amateurs. These are qualified scientists who do believe in the biblical record of creation. And so yeah. creation.com, I would send people there. And if somebody, if people want to watch uh, there's a great film that's free on YouTube currently. It's called Is Genesis History? It's uh, well over an hour long, but it's excellent, and it covers many of the things that we've talked about today. Is Genesis History? Put that into YouTube, and uh, there's a great movie there for you to watch. I'll uh, put that in my uh, bank for um, watching this week, Peter. Now, next week, when you return uh, next Thursday, what's your topic? Okay, so the next topic that we're going to talk about is, and it kind of naturally flows on from this, so if God created the world and God created it perfect, a paradise, as we see in Genesis 1 and 2, what went wrong? Why is there so much suffering? And also, if the Bible talks about a God of love, why doesn't he do something about pain and suffering? Why is there so much suffering in the world? It's the number one question people ask, and we're going to talk about that next week. Okay, now tomorrow we have David Maxwell and he's been uh, working through the book or the chapter of Psalm 23. So it's a, quite an in-depth Bible study, fascinating um, journey that we're going through that with uh, many stories by David and we'll have him tomorrow on the program at 9am. We hope you can listen then. Now uh, this weekend, what are you up to, Peter? 
Okay, so this weekend I will be speaking at Rosny Seventh-day Adventist Church and that program starts from 11am. I'm going to actually be speaking about part two in a series that I've been doing called Israel in Prophecy. Um, if people go to the uh, Rosny Seventh-day Adventist Church YouTube site, they'll be able to see part one if they are interested in that. But I'll be doing part two, Israel in Prophecy. Awesome. Well, I'll actually be there. I'll listen to that and uh, we hope uh, that others can listen as well. If you can't be there in person and you're interested, you can always find us on YouTube um, live streaming and after the event as well. We uh, are out of time. We do um, hope that uh, your day will be a good one. We hope that you can join us tomorrow and we hope that you can join us again next week with Peter Watts. Thanks for listening today.